Uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26 if you aren't already there. This certainly is, and I won't, uh, I won't be ashamed of it, this is a very emotional message. It's emotional because it's at a point in Christ's life where he is agonizing, agonizing over the purpose that he has on this earth. It's not saying that he was not willing to do it or he was questioning it or he was having doubts. None whatsoever. We have to understand the context here. But it's at a point where he has, he has fulfilled one part of, the, of his father's commands and he is now getting to the end where it's the greatest challenge for him. Personally, I love, I love reading the, the Gospels. I love them because in it, I'm able to see how Christ responded. Not very often do I preach out of the Gospels. It's not because of not wanting to, but it's because of the Lord laying on my heart things in my life from, from the epistles that the Lord has sh shared with me. But in here, we have an affliction. And many of you, many of us have gone through challenges. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's the past year. Maybe it's the past few years. They are not always easy to go through. They are challenging. They cause us to question the Lord, cause us to question why we are here, what the challenges may be. And if you're honest with yourself, you do that. I do it. We have to go back to scriptures and be encouraged. We have to go back to our Lord's example and see a person in the greatest trial of his life. Where did he turn? Two things. He turned. Scripture and his father. That is our example. For us, through the trials, through the challenges in life, to turn to scriptures and turn to our Father. I want to ask each of you a question. I want you to think back to this past week. What were your couple of days like or what was your week like? So let me give you a couple scenarios here. All right, so I hit the snooze button too many times, and I got up late. Traffic was terrible, and I got to work five minutes late. Boss yelled at me today for something I did not do. I spilled food on my clothes. I had to stay late at work because of extra projects or duties. Supper was late and didn't taste too good. And an unexpected bill came in the mail. Maybe that was part of your week or some of your week. Here's another one. You'll see a theme going through this. Hit the snooze button too many times and got up late. The clothes I needed to wear were not clean and had to wear a shirt from the, for the second day in a row. Think of this kids in the school where you have to wear uniforms, right? Forgot my homework at home. That's where you do your homework at home, right? Forgot it at home. Only got a 93 on my math test when I was expecting 100. Tough day. 
Government class, I don't know if Russ is here, right? Government class was, was too boring talking about the cabinet positions, those of you who've taken government class. Had to wait too long to cook my food in the microwave, so a cold lunch when I was looking forward to a hot one. Mom picked me up 10 minutes late. Too much homework, brother is being a pest, dad is asking me to do chores, went to bed too late and didn't get my beauty rest. Another scenario, hit the snooze button too many times and got up late. A theme, right? Kids weren't ready for school, got to school five minutes late, had to pick up the clothes from off the floor again, had to replace the toilet rolls in every bathroom again, forgot to put something out of the freezer for supper, broke up 6,792 fights between the kids in one hour, husband called and will be home late, Still don't understand the math homework for the kids. Wait until your father gets home. Kids complain about suffering. Five spills had to be cleaned. Went to bed too late and could, get not all of my, could not get all of my beauty rest. Here's another scenario. I preach my last sermon on this earth. I predict my crucifixion. Religious leaders plot against me to kill me. Someone anoints me for my burial. One of my 12 disciples agrees to betray me. I celebrate my last Passover on this earth. I predicted my betrayal to be arrested. I institute the Lord's Supper to be conducted by the church after my death. I predict one of the members of my inner circle will betray me three times, or excuse me, deny me three times. I agonize in the garden with my father over my horrible death. My disciples fall asleep while I am watching and praying. I am arrested. I am tried, beaten, spit on, mocked, and nailed to a cross. I am crucified and rejected of the Father. So how was your week like? I've, t- I've titled this message, Our Light Affliction. Because when we put things in perspective, they are light. They are very light. But yet, what do we do? We forget what our Lord went through. And we make them the biggest thing that's ever happened. And no one can understand what we've gone through. We do that. I do that. The past couple of years, there's certainly been challenges in my life. With, with family, with work, with just life in general. And there are times where I have a pity party with me, myself, and I. Try to encourage other people to have that pity party along with me. And I've done two things wrong there, right? I've caused myself to sin, and I may have caused other people to sin because of enjoying or being participant in that pity party. It's not right, folks. Let's put these things into context. Let's look at the agony that Christ went in the Garden of Gethsemane. And let us, let us be emotional about it. There is nothing wrong with emotions. There's nothing wrong with our seeing what our Savior went through and feeling something for that. And using that emotion to right ourselves and think biblically and think properly. We've got to use these things. So with that... I want us to take a look at what went on in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Now, there are other accounts in Scripture. There's one in Mark and there's one in Luke. We'll allude to each of those as they bring some difference of, of viewpoints in there. Not change Scripture, but different aspects of the Garden of Gethsemane that they felt were important to them, that they wanted to write down. I want to share those things with, with us this morning. You have the outline in your, in your bulletin if you want to follow along. But first of all, there's a sharing that goes on. I don't want to minimize this aspect of trials and tribulations. We all go through them. What does scripture say? If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will what? Suffer persecution. And the word suffer is in there, right? We'll look later on in the book of 2 Corinthians how Paul talks about suffering and affliction. It is, should not be a surprise to you. It should not have been a surprise to the disciples that Jesus was going through this affliction. Right? They should have known that this was coming. And when he is asking them to pray, that they should have responded accordingly. But we have a challenge with that. Jesus asked his close confidants to join him. He, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. They went together. What does that mean for us? First of all, there's two, they're going to always look at two aspects. The person who's going through the affliction and the person who's observing the affliction, which will apply to both of us, right? There's implications for both of us from this aspect. So how do you respond when you are going through affliction? I don't want anybody to know is one response, right? I don't want to embarrass myself. And frankly, we still have a challenge even among ourselves of being gossips. Rather than hearing it and sharing it with others, if we find out from somebody else, we use it as a point of gossip rather than a point to say, let's encourage one another and pray. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful about that. But some of you may know, some of you may not know. My, my brother Craig, who lives in South Carolina, lost his job a few weeks ago. As a man, I, I, I lost my job um, a few years back. And as a, as a man, as a, as a provider, it's very, very difficult to face that challenge. There's pride that goes on. There's guilt. What do I mean by that? Maybe I did something. Is there something I did wrong? to cause me to lose my job. Did I do something wrong? You feel like, hey, I'm a failure? All of those emotions occur. You know what, what, what are those emotions? They are, they are not biblical emotions. And we need to be willing to share those things. I appreciate those who, who, who there's many in this assembly who are looking for work. I pray for you because I know what it feels like. I know what it's like. And you need to be able to understand what it's like for one another. You may not exactly know the situation, but you need to understand. There's nothing wrong with bringing folks. But you know what, too? Not everybody's going to understand what you're going through. Not everybody's going to be able to take what you are going through and be able to pray for you effectively. But what did I say? What did the Lord use as his example of when he went through trials and afflictions? The word of God and the Father. We need to go back to those each and every time. 
Now, the Lord's example here is he brought the 11. Judas had left. He was getting ready to betray. Now they're together. And he says, I want you near me during my darkest hour. He had earthly friends. It's interesting. Jesus warned and spoke of this trial he was going through throughout his ministry. Let's just think about in Matthew 26, the things he mentioned to warn them of what the point he was coming to. In chapter 26, verse 1, where we're here, he says, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. 26.12, he says, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Verse 18, my time is at hand. Verse 21, one of you will betray me. Verse 19, I tell you that I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. Whoa. Just that expression to me. What do you mean? And what did Peter say? No way am I going to fall. And what did he say to Peter? For the cock, throw, cock crows three times. Cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Verse 32, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. There was ample warning just in the short period before the scene in Gethsemane that he warned the disciples that something was coming up. With that context, we now go to the Garden of Gethsemane when we see the people he brought, right? Jesus asked his disciples to come. In verse 36, he says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, it is late, understood. But the gravity of the situation and the warning that he gave them about what was going on, one would think that these disciples were prepared to think and ponder upon what was going to happen. Does that not happen to us as well? We, we don't ponder upon the things that the Lord wants us to ponder upon during times of great distress. Should be a challenge for us. So we ask them to sit and watch. And what does he say to them? If we actually do a parallel passage, turn over to Luke 22, verse 40. We know that in this passage in Matthew, we'll look at a little bit later, he does say the phrase, Pray that you not enter into temptation. But he also says it beforehand. Luke 22, verse 40. If we go back to, to 39, he says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them before a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed. So before he even went to pray, 
He said to them, pray that, they, that you enter not into temptation. Now, what temptation are we talking about here? Well, there's an alertness that needs to go on when challenges are occurring in our lives. We need to pray that we don't go through that simplicity of thinking, hey, everything's okay. You know, these disciples may have been thinking at the time, we're with the Lord. We're with the God of heaven, his son, who has, from scripture of old, has promised that, the, that he will usher in the kingdom. We have God with us. Nothing to worry about, nothing to think about. Nothing for even for us to be praying for. We have the Lord with us. So he says to them, sit and watch. And he says to them, pray that you enter not in temptation. He says this to the 11. Then what does he do? Back in Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So he leaves eight, brings additional three along with him. Now, certainly it's always assumed that this was the inner circle for our Lord. And while that may be so, there's nothing definitive in Scripture to say that. We can certainly assume that that was the case. And there's that inner circle of people that the Lord wanted to share his heart even more to. You have to surround yourself with some people who you can trust. People who can go alongside you and be your paraclete. Be your comforter along with the Holy Spirit to encourage you in this world. Nothing wrong with that, and it's encouraged to do that. But again, we go back to our thought process. Ultimately, it's Scripture and the Father. So if those people are not helping you to go to Scripture and the Father, they aren't those people you want to share with. On the flip side, what type of paraclete are you? What type of comforter are you? Are you one to say, wow, that is tough. You know, uh, you should complain, you should moan, you should groan, you should whine, you should be disappointed, you should be concerned, you should be X, Y, Z. Or are you a person that says, you know what, I don't know what you're going through. I don't completely understand it, but let me tell you what scripture says. Let me comfort you from what scripture says. Are you that type of person? And say, keep praying. I will pray for you. Hey, why don't we just sit down here and pray right now? Let's do that together. Let's be encouraged together. Because one day you're going to maybe be in the other shoe and you're going to want that person to do that for you. What type of people are we in doing that? It's a challenge for us, right? It's tough. Our nature wants to... The stories that happen in the media, what are the ones that get front lines? Does the word disaster come to mind? Something that is a disaster, something that causes pain, something that causes destruction is what hits front lines. And so for us, our nature is we love, we love those stories. We may love those stories. And so it's 
oh, let me hear some more about that. And it's not for the, for the idea of helping them out, but for the idea of hearing more. So the Lord in this brings three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he shares a little bit more with them. What does he say to them? He says in verse 39, my soul is very sorrowful, or sorry, beforehand, I want to just share something. He, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, when you see someone as being sorrowful and troubled, does it not turn a light bulb in your head? Something may be wrong here. Let me be that paraclete. He was experiencing sorrow and grief. It was not an easy thing for him to go through. Nor does any of your challenges something easy for you to go through. I'm not discounting that fact. I know. Been through it. During those times, they are dark. They can be dark. They can be depressing. They can be demoralizing. It can hurt. And you can be at your wit's end. But you need to go to the Father and go to Scripture. And if you've got someone who can encourage you, you can trust them, you know what they're like and their character, go to that person to help them turn you to Scripture and to the Father. And in this case here, the Lord, being the perfect person, was just sharing with his inner circle what was going on. He was sharing the grief that he was going through. This grief is talking about being afflicted with sorrow. It's being sorrowful. It's the same word as we, we go back and look at that verse 22 of chapter 26. And it's talking about when, when, when he shared with them, the Lord shared with his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And they were all sorrowful over that. It's the same word. Was troubled, distressed. And it's, in its pure form, it talks about to faint, be depressed, and almost overwhelmed with sorrow or burden of mind. Does that sound like maybe a, a dark time of your life? It was a dark time in our Lord's life. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. I'll share with you how this, this, this same word is used in a different context. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Philippians 2, 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to your need. What type of person was Epaphroditus? A person who you could go to when you were going through a trial or affliction. Are you an Epaphroditus? For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed. Same word here. Has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was distressed in heart. There was sorrow that was going on here, even greater sorrow. If we continue on in our text, verse 39, and being a, sorry, verse finishing up 38, then he said to them, My soul is very 
sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. What does he further on? This is actually, there's a, there's a prefix that is being added to the word sorrowful from the previous verse. And it helps expound it, and it's talking about the word is peri, which periscope, around. So sorrow all around you, in essence, the idea you're surrounded by sorrow. And this is what he was going through, deeply grieved. Has the idea of being surrounded by grief, severely grieved or very sorrowful. Think of the emotions. It says the emotion here was he was so sorrowful, even unto death. Have you ever been in a position where you have been sorrowful almost to death? I cannot imagine if one of my family or my wife, something happened and they passed away. The sorrow I can imagine I would go through is, Lord, take me as well. I want to go. I don't want to stay. It's hard for me to equate it, but simple. I, I, Jerry and I have talked about this hipkey. How many of you have ever had a kidney stone? They're fun, huh? You say, boy, I'm having a great time right now, and I wish I could have some more. I know when I went through a I can say it because I've had a kidney stone. When I went through it, I prayed, Lord, take me. I did. Have, did, have you, did you pray that? I, I know for, for my wife, I said it without her hearing me. But I said, Lord, take me. It is a sorrow unto death just about. And there's nothing to show for after, right? I know similar pain is through childbirth, but you know what? You get a child afterwards. I get a little stone. I am not keeping the stone. I am throwing it away. There's nothing good that comes out of it, right? But I can, I can at least have a sense of what he must have felt, but not even come close to imagining. Please, I don't want to simplify that point. He was going, the point of sorrow unto death was, he was now going to face sin. He was going to face the wrath of God for something he did not deserve. Can you imagine yourself standing there, in the, sitting there in the electric chair, getting ready to be put to death for something you did not do for an act or a crime that you would never do. That's what our Lord went through. Again, hard to imagine, but you can at least try to put it into some concept of what we have here. That is tough. Deeply distressed, deeply sorrowful, even unto death. And he says to that, remain here and watch with me. There's the idea, I think, here of praying. Now, watching in, in, its, in its purest form here is just talking about refrain from sleep. But it came to mean, as from a spiritual aspect, to stay alert to watch out for him and not be disturbed. Be alert for your spiritual life. Realize that Satan wants to come and he wants to, to defeat you. Satan was there. He was hoping the Lord would have as much agony as he could to say, no, I'm not going to do it. 
That was the agony the Lord went through. Not only was he facing, I have to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is for me to bear the wrath of God for the sins of the human world. person who knew no sin, no guile was found in that person, did not deserve it. And when Satan tempted the Lord early on in his ministry, again the Lord used scripture and he prayed to the Father. As I mentioned to you in Luke 22:40, he added the phrase to them, to his disciples, while before he leaves, pray that you enter not into temptation. So the word watch here has the idea of praying. Understanding. Do you, he's saying to the disciples, do you understand the gravity of what's going on here? I'm about to leave this earth. I'm about to get arrested. I'm about to get beaten, tried unfairly, and get nailed to a cross, spit on, mocked on. I am the God of heaven, and I will do this, be doing this. That is strong. That is strong. So you can understand, hopefully understand, the agony that the Lord is going through during this. Does that not put in perspective what we go through? I hope it does. It does for me. It does for me. It doesn't mean I don't fail in thinking about it and putting woe is me attitude. I pray the Lord continues to, to point me back to him and to scripture. And I pray that people in my life would do the same for me. To point me to scripture and to the Father of what goes on here. It's interesting to take a look at the, the, the prayers that go on here. And even the position of the praying. What's going on here in the garden? Now, if you compare scripture to scripture, we won't do it, but you can certainly look at the parallel passage. And the first time the Lord goes into the garden, he kneels. Kneels down. You can find that in, in Luke 22, verse 41. Kneels down and prays. The second time he goes in, and the third time, he has fallen on his face. The agony is so strong that he has sat on his face. And what happens during this agony? If we looked at Luke twenty-two forty-four, turn over there. Let's let's go ahead and turn anyway. Luke twenty-two forty-four. Verse forty-four. It says, "And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down the ground." Have you ever been in such agony that? your capillaries have actually burst and caused the blood to go through your pores and potentially mix with your sweat, it can happen. And that's what happened to our Lord. That's the amount of agony he was in. From a human standpoint, his body could almost not handle the agony he was going through. I want you, again, understand and be able to picture what's going on here. This is a, a trial unlike any trial has ever occurred. 
and you will ever face, unlike anything. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Another example of our Lord, of what he went through during this trial. Now, what was Jesus praying about back in Matthew 20, 26? He says in verse 39, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. <coughs> the cup is really a metaphor for God's wrath. It's the wrath of God for the sins of mankind. He was going to have to face that. And in his sinful, perfect nature, he didn't want to face that. It's interesting that the Lord certainly, his father wasn't forcing to do it, but the, the son was willing to do it. It's part of the plan. He was willing to do it. While he thought of maybe some potential alternatives, there's no alternative, and the Lord knew it. He knew what he had to do and was willing to do it. But the agony of having to put sin upon him, the sins of the world, greatly distressed him. Because that was not his nature, not part of him. He knew completely what he had to do and was willing to do it. He accepted what he had to do and submitted. Submitted to the will of the Father. After the first time the Lord came back and challenged the disciples In verse 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said, so I could, so you could you not watch with me one hour? Did he not say to them, watch and pray? Which has the idea of keep watching and praying. It's not one time event. You're done. You can wipe your hands clean. You've done your activity. Check it off your list. If you're a check your off list person, that's not one of the things you can check off your list means keep praying, keep watching. We never need to stop doing that. Jesus' desire was that the disciples would be discerning enough to realize when there was a spiritual battle. This was a spiritual battle. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And verse 12. Understand this, folks, of where the battle is. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 
Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Sole purpose is to devour believers. To get us to turn from the Lord. To get people to turn from the Lord. The first rebuke that Jesus did back in Matthew 26 was to Peter. I believe the rest of the disciples heard what was going on, so it wasn't a surprise, but he used Peter as the leader of leaders that eventually would come out to encourage them. That it is so important as leaders to watch and pray. And then the second time he came back, while it's not shown in this passage, in parallel passage it is, he mentions the same thing to the other disciples. The three, I mean, all three of them, warning them and rebuking them. And we know that, not from this passage, but because it says that they could not answer him. They didn't know what to say when he rebuked them the second time after they were sleeping. Didn't know what to say. How is that a challenge for us? So when others are going through trials and challenges, are we asleep? Are we not aware of what's going on in each other's lives? One of the purposes of the small groups is to encourage that, is to encourage you to get to know each other better, to pray for one another. And it certainly has accomplished in our group. I've got to tell you, I mean, I, I look forward to that prayer list coming out, not because there's things we, you know, people are hurting, but for the fact that I can, I can, be, I can be a part of people's lives praying for them, ask them next week. And what we do in our list is we say, it's been answered. And we can say, praise the Lord, it's been answered. And I don't take it away from the list. So I want to look at the end of our time together as a group. See how the Lord has answered. The Lord is faithful. He will answer. He is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will be with you at all times. That's what it helps me to look at through that process. What an encouragement that is. Jesus submitted to the Father's will. There's no doubt that Jesus knew what needed to be done and was willing to do it. Turn over to John 10, 17 through 18 again, so that you don't think I'm saying he was not was worried in his mind, wasn't sure whether he was going to do it or not. Not the case. John 10, verses 17 to 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. He was a willing participant in this. And you know what? Satan would, n would never get the victory over him on this. It was all him that made the decision. Verse 39 says, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42 says, your will be done. What did he say at the end? Just before he took his last breath, he said, Father... Into your hands I commit 
my spirit. Those were his last words before he took his last breath. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Wow. Again, what an, an awesome display of agony, temptation, and the Lord gaining victory because of Scripture and the Father. What have we learned here? I want to give you a couple of reminders before we close. We're going to move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just a few verses here. 2 Corinthians, we'll stay in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I want to remind you of a few things. 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. See what I'm talking about here? This is the purpose. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently adore the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you, sorry, verse 6, ending in 6. What's interesting, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul uses the Greek word for afflicted or affliction about 15 times. And he uses the word for comfort or comforted about 25 times. And it's actually relegated to just a few passages but consistently use that because those words are important together. They're important for us to be comforted through our affliction, but it's also important for you to comfort one another during affliction. There is a responsibility we have to have through this as the body of Christ, as working together in the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we have, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Comfort affliction following there. In verse 16 of the same chapter, so we do not lose heart through all these things, through all the sufferings that we've gone through, for the challenges that you Corinthians made against us that were unwarranted, unfounded, unbiblical, ungodly, he says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is where my title of my message is out. For this, moment, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal 
weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you know what you have in Christ? Something amazing. Something amazing that the world cannot fathom because the world does not serve the Lord. Last, last passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overwhelming with joy. When you go through affliction, the next time you say that, say, I am overwhelming with joy. Can you say that honestly? Are you encouraging one another in being able to say this to one another? The Lord went through the greatest agony again, that we could ever imagine. And he kept dear people by him, by his side, to help him, to encourage him. Not that he needed it, but I think it showed as an example for us. We need to put things in context when compared to Christ. We need to be open to sharing what you're going through with others. Realize that only God can truly provide the needed. You know what? People are going to fail you, folks. They're never, ever going to give you everything you need to help you through the challenge that you may be going through. But you know what? Our Heavenly Father can do that because the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and faced the same things we faced and it was touched with our furry so he can feel with us. Take that promise to heart. He's the only one that can truly provide the strength in time of temptation and trial. Realize that you can fail just as easily as the next person and pray that you and others do not. That's the pray that you do not fall into temptation. Understand that Jesus went through the same trials. And as you understand these things, hopefully they will point you to be able to, how can I apply them to my life? It is your responsibility to take the word of God and apply it in the way God wants you to apply it. I can pretend to help you apply all these different things. Not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility to give you from his word what you need. It's your responsibility to take that and apply that to your life and walk in newness of life, be more like him. I always think of that verse in 1 John. It talks about it'll be great when we get to heaven and, and, and have those perfect bodies but while we're on this earth, we need to try to have and be a perfect body while we're here. Let's pray. Lord, it is very emotional to understand what you went through, to see what you went through, the rejection, the humiliation, the pain, the agony. Can't imagine any of it, Lord, but it compels me to see your great love for me and to use that love in my life to realize and to put into context that these trials and tribulations are nothing.
and that we need to have overwhelming joy through these things because we're comforted by one another. And most importantly, we're comforted by your word and you, the Father. Help us to go away from here knowing you better, understanding your word better, applying it to our life, and having a desire to bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.